Hi all, we said that this season we're going to focus a lot on creative responses to climate change. And one of the most obvious creative responses is to make things. And not just things that relate to climate change, maybe just objects that are fun to make out of stuff you might otherwise recycle. These two boys from Educate Together, Carrigaline, get it. My name is Christian, I'm six and I live in Cork. Benjamin, seven. I use this old paper, I cut it in and I drawed a little flash on it in juniors and it came out perfect and I usually always hide it in my lunchbox so then I could play with it. I made it last week and it was a little monster with um, a top hat Ooh. and it was made out of raindrops. One used to have a smiley face <laughs> and now that one has a green eye on the side and a purple eye on the other side and then one is basically just mixed up black. This week is Creative Schools Week and the theme this year is Brave New Future. It couldn't be any more appropriate. You all do art in school and art is the most obvious place to begin. But how do you guys think art can help in talking about and helping to change our climate? I think art has a big role in making our environment cleaner because if you had something, instead of just throwing it away or wasting it or just getting rid of it, you could use it into something else and it could be helpful. Art is a way to express yourself and now there are loads and loads of art all over the world trying to stop climate change and they're doing a pretty good job. Art and creativity can help communicate important issues, it can help to highlight nature and show people hope for the future or explain the seriousness of the situation we are in. If someone were to draw a painting of what the future would look like if climate change wasn't stopped, then it would inspire other people to do their best. People could get the idea like that it is a really bad thing and that the world could be like a very different place afterwards. Other people could make a change by getting outside some more instead of using fossil fuels. Some people wouldn't really listen to words. If you put up leaflets or paintings everywhere to save the environment, then people might listen. Art would be a good way to help younger children if they're not able to read, they could understand it in pictures, and then the older children that are able to read would understand it written down. I think it makes a difference because when people draw pictures or fancy writing or big paintings, people are more drawn to them and you can add a powerful message between them. Words don't always speak the truth. Art does. Art shows how you're feeling. It shows the emotion. It tells people that we need change. The great thing is, it's not just kids that know art has power. I guess if you need any more evidence, we should go to an expert. I'm Catherine Marshall, I'm an art historian and curator. A very famous artist in the early 20th century said that the job of art is to make things visible. And so if you do something through your art that makes people look at the world in a new way, you know, look at the waterways or look at the city or look at people around you and in a way that you hadn't noticed before, if an artwork has made you do that, then it's good art it's it's art and that could be music or visual art or it could be dance it could be it could take any form real art is made for no other purpose than to be great art it's to say something or to to make the world visible in a way that it hasn't been visible before so while it might also 
promote social justice or social commitment or or preservation of the climate. I think it falls over into propaganda when that secondary aim becomes the primary aim and the art is made just to teach us a lesson. But the best artists make good art that may also have that other function rather than the other way around. There are a great many, a great many artists who are really passionate about trying to preserve what we need in nature and preserve the planet, preserve the culture and the climate. Um, I mean, in Ireland, there are artists working right now, people like uh, Christine Mackey, you know, an awful lot of her work has been about recording, documenting and preserving fish life and pond life and native seeds and so on. There's an artist called Deirdre O'Mahony who has looked at sustainability into the future and looked at what modern agriculture in Ireland in particular is doing, but not just in Ireland. She's looked at, say, the role of the potato in keeping Irish, 8 million Irish people alive at the time of the famine. And when the potato crop failed, people died in huge numbers. So she's saying to herself now, instead of big beef farms and everything, maybe we should be looking at the potato to see um, if we can developed strands of potatoes that would sustain the planet. The variety of, of crops and things she has researched that have the potential to keep people alive and in probably in better health than some of the things we use is amazing. I mean, there's a lovely project in Dublin 8, in Dublin at the moment. Um, it's been go- going on for a couple of years now. It's called the Greening of Dublin 8. And what that has, has involved is looking around the Dublin 8 area, which is quite big and very built up, identifying small pockets of ground where you could grow a tree or two or three and planting trees that are appropriate to the conditions there. And it may well be that in a few years' time, a developer who has already bought that land will want to cut them down and do something else. But in the meantime... All kinds of wildlife has been encouraged back into the area. And another extension of this, which I think the artist was very aware of, is it's helped the people in the community who took part in the planting and stuff. They've learned a great deal more about nature and about the value of nature. They've learned to see their city in a new way. And that has to be good for everybody. So it is about visibility. Okay, it's growing stuff. The trees will be there long after. The effect of the visibility has been planted in people's minds but making it visible is the thing that is the trigger. The thing that the Dublin 8 project has at its centre is how we engage with the natural world. There are lots of different ways to make this visible. Land art or earthworks are names given to art from materials situated in their natural world. Andy Goldsworthy in Scotland uses materials like stone, wood and leaves to create beautiful sculptures. Red and gold leaves frame the roots of a tree. A stone wall weaves like a snake around an ancient woods instead of knocking them down. Like all the best art, these pieces draw you in and ask you to question the world around you. Sometimes, art can be much larger in scale. In 1982, an artist called Agnes Dennis took over two acres of land in the middle of Manhattan, New York. She poured truckloads of soil and it grew a rippling field of wheat. This crop, right in the middle of looming skyscrapers, made everybody who passed by it stop and wonder. It made people think about where our food usually comes from. When it was ripe, it was harvested, yielding almost 500 kilograms of grain. That grain travelled to 28 cities across the world in an exhibition titled The International Art Show for the End of World Hunger. 
audiences were encouraged to take seeds from the show and plant them. And artists in Ireland and around the world continued to use their art to speak out, harnessing their creativity to make a real difference. Let's go further afield. Hi, my name's Katie Holton and I'm an artist. I've been living in New York and so the last four years since we had the last US presidential election, uh, things have become very strange, upside down and inside out. And I've been protesting it out on the streets even since before that election. Katie draws, paints and writes, as well as doing more experimental projects. But words are at the centre of almost all of her work. So before that, you could say that words mattered to me and I started thinking about words mattering all the way back in 2014, 2015. I started hosting a monthly salon in my home in New York called uh, Sunday Salons. We would meet on, on Sunday afternoons to have conversations about art and activism in the Anthropocene. And the Anthropocene is this time that we're living through now where humans, our species, has changed. Every biological system on the planet has been affected by us. So we've become um, this huge system um, on the, a planetary scale. We're changing. We've moved from the Holocene. When I was little and in school, we were told we're living in the Holocene era. Um, and now we're in the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is recognised as the time in Earth's history when human activity has made a significant negative impact on its climate and the well-being of all of the creatures that live here. We can feel like we are small, and so our impact for good and bad won't be that powerful. But that would be a big mistake. Even though we seem small, you know, on this planet, when you're up in an aeroplane and you look down, it doesn't look like our cities maybe are, are that big or what we're doing is that destructive. But on a global scale, we're seeing the catastrophic effects of it. And I was realising that words, and even words that we use in the art world, like landscape and nature, still life, all had, again, other opposite meanings, or they were being used, like greenwashing is this phenomenon where you have politicians who talk about doing something that's good for the environment, but it's actually a they're sort of, it's a gloss, it's like this green gloss pretending that everything's fine and that they're doing something, but in the reality, it's not really scratching the surface of the problems that we have. It's normal to feel a disconnection from the problems that Earth faces. And one of those reasons is that these days, we are often separated from our environment, the world outside. We asked fifth class students at Carlo Educate Together if they felt that they spent enough time in nature. I spend enough time in nature because every day I go outside to my friends, but I don't go outside to my friends every day, like not when it's raining, just when it's like sunny, like most of the time I go out to my friends. I don't really think I spend enough time in nature. I probably could go out and uh, walk my dog more. Sometimes I find it quite hard, but other times we do kind of go on walks and stuff like that, but then it kind of depends on the time. Every single day my friends will either knock for me or I will go knock for them. I feel like I do spend a good amount of time in nature because my friends are usually outside and I usually go outside to them and we play like games and all like superheroes or something. I don't really know. 16 years ago when I moved to New York to begin with and I was I was there looking at our relationship with nature in the city and so that word nature, what is it? I, I was very aware that um, I'm a human, I'm, I'm an animal, I'm part of nature. 
and I felt like going to a big city and New York felt like a big place to as a research lab to work as an artist and, and see what is our relationship what is my relationship as a human being um, within this community of a city and then how does the city work within the country and the planet you know a long time in, in my practice I've been working with words and language and, and what they mean the fact that nature seems to have separated us and a lot of people say well it's the green you know I'm looking outside my window and there are ferns and there's an apple tree and there's ivy on the wall and that's we've always been told well that's the nature that's the green stuff that's separate from us because we're humans and we're kind of kind of separate but the reality is that we're all the same we're all you know animals living here together um on the planet learning that words they're important you can't really understand something unless you have a word but then once you have the word that sort of creates this barrier around it and and pigeonholes it down and and creates this meaning that's um, maybe restricting it more than necessary because things are more open than that right nature isn't just one one thing encapsulated in that little word when you break a word apart you're left with its letters letters of an alphabet I've been making alphabets um, and working with language like officially since 2015. That's when I first started and made the first tree alphabet. The tree alphabet replaces the 26 characters, letters of the English keyboard and because it, it works as a font. So when you tap the keyboard, a tree pops up instead of the, the English letter that we're used to seeing. We're in this huge planetary and existential crisis. Uh, and I've been feeling this for a long time. What can I do as... I'm an individual artist and what can I do with my work that can somehow communicate the urgency of the situation. And I realised that the tree drawings that I had made when I first moved to New York, I was walking around the city, I was in the, living in the East Village, um, actually on First Street. So every time I opened my door and went outside, I felt like I was starting at one and could go up or down because the city is on a grid. So the, the walks that I was doing, I mapped them with tree drawings because I realised that the street trees are the only you know, nature because I was there researching nature and I realised that the street trees are it. That's really how a lot of people engage with the non-human world because everything else is concrete, tarmac, buildings, cars, some form of city infrastructure that's man-made and you're, all that you're left with are these trees. So it was almost exactly 10 years later that I had this middle-of-the-night moment, you know, when you're lying in bed and you're half awake, half asleep, uh, that's when I have all my good ideas, or they seem like good ideas at the time. But I realised that those tree drawings that I've made, I could replace, I could use to replace the letters in the alphabet, and that the trees themselves could talk. As climate changes, trees have to shift and move, just as people do. So there are lots of, you know, we're always talking about similarities between trees and people, like we're almost like a tree with our feet rooted on the ground. So that part of the alphabet was really important for me as well. Colm O'Neill, a designer in Carlo, worked with Katie on the Irish tree alphabet and just before lockdown, the exhibition surrounding it was on show in Visual Carlo. We haven't had the ability to go to galleries for some time, although thankfully this week they're opening up once more. This show may have gone from visual, but the alphabet is still available. So the tree alphabet is free. It's on the website www.treealphabet.ie and you can download the font. It should work on all computers. And I'm not going to say what I hope it does, because with my work I never try and dictate what it means or what it's going to make you feel. I just want to create something and put it out in the world and then see what happens. <laughs> Katie, like most artists, doesn't really want to explain how her art works. But what happens when we look at an alphabet that's entirely made up of trees? It comes down to translation. And um, if you translate it, 
into something else that you can't quite read. At first it might look like something you can read and you see it from far away because all these things are lined up. You get closer and you realise, oh, I can't translate it, I don't know what it is. But then when you get closer and realise, oh, here's the key, which is what you use to, to translate a code, um, it's a puzzle. And so in that slowness, when you have to slow down to translate letter by letter, I was wondering whether this would help reappreciating words for what they are and, and at a granular level. So it's almost like the molecules of language. You peel it all away and you come down to letter by letter. You suddenly have to slow down to translate it. We're not all artists, but it's important that we play to our strengths. All of us, we find out what we're good at and we do it. And that's, that's going to help. We found here in, in the States during the last four years with this traumatic time that everybody was scrambling to try and find out what can I do to help and we realised everybody just has to find out what their strength is. What are you good at? So if you're good at drawing, you draw. I find as, as a visual artist that I need to work with other people who've got other parts of the puzzle because we're trying to piece together this story to share but you still have to sit down and face this blank page. And that's very scary. <laughs> it's really exciting, but you know, I, I try, I have a few little stabs at it with my pencil and then I, I'm never, I'm not happy. It doesn't feel like it's good enough, which is silly. I think you just have to, you just do it. <laughs> One big important part of this is that we need to have something, a future vision that we can see, that we can fight for. This is where I think the arts can hopefully help. Thanks to Katie and to the staff of Visual in Carlo for helping us make this interview happen. They also helped in recording the kids from Carlo Educate Together. Although the tree alphabet isn't currently on show, it is available for download along with the colouring book Katie made for Tree Week 2021. For this and lots more interesting work, head to katieholton.com. Why not give it a go and see what happens when you slow down. Not everyone is an artist, although you should see my doodles at school. Nightmare fuel. Sometimes it's hard to find inspiration. So let's talk to two people who've written a book that helps you make art while still thinking about the planet. I'm Tia. I'm Laura. And we've written a book called The Eco Craft Book. We've always been interested in the environment and since we had children ourselves, our passion just sort of developed because we really wanted them to grow up understanding that things can be crafted without having to chuck it away in the bin. Tia and I have been friends since uh, we met at university and uh, we moved to the same, we moved to Brighton, to the same uh, seaside town. We both um, decided that we would motivate each other by doing craft projects and we started a, this little blog, Little Button Diaries, as a way to just sort of make us finish things basically. Started writing books and it's just grown from there really and we've been doing it for... Uh, six years? Six, maybe seven. Is it? Yeah. Wow. We were both always really crafty, but we never did anything together. It was kind of a joint realisation that this is something we could share with our children and with each other. Mm. I think as it is at the moment, a lot of children don't understand that what they're making, a lot of craft materials that they're using just end up in landfill and they don't understand the concept of landfill and they don't understand where things go. And they don't realise that that glitter that they're sprinkling all over that piece of card is going to make that piece of card not recyclable. And also the bits of glitter are going to end up in the water systems. And I think it's important that children know that because when they know it, they then don't want to use it as much. I think awareness is the most important thing. Or they can make eco-friendly alternatives. Use eco-glitter yeah. or make your own glitter like we have in the book. OK, so where do I start? 
our biggest recommendation actually for all our books is that children get a craft rummage box. So instead of chucking things in the bin or in the recycling, before you do, put it in a box aside and rummage through that and let your imagination go wild and see what you could make with it. So, you know, robots and rockets and magnetic animals that you could make with some magnets and things. There's, there's endless possibilities with things that you can make from your recycling box. We try not to be too prescriptive with, with what we've done. So we might have used some juice boxes to make Skittles because they're unrecyclable. But if, if they don't have that, they could use loo rolls or anything else that they've got. So it's good to be imaginative and encourage that with children. We like to do things where it's not just about the, the making process, it's about being able to use it as well or play with it. Tia and Laura have written another book called The Big Book of Outdoor Activities. The Big Book of Outdoor Activities is a really good book, actually. It's one of our absolute favourites mm-hmm. because it is cram-packed. I think there's 100 activities for you to do with stuff that you bring inside from nature or stuff while you're outside and can enjoy. And we try to go through uh, different seasons as well, sort of... You know, it's not just all like mm. autumn, when you know, it's kind of, you can do stuff in summer. It's just really nice to dip in and out of as well. You don't need to sort of work your way through the book. They're just all kind of small activities that you can either take out with you while you're on a walk or bring some leaves in and make something beautiful from yeah. the outside. That book actually inspired this book, the eco book, because we love doing all these outdoor crafting things. And we thought, you know what, it'd be really good to be able to teach children about the environment at the same time as all these outdoor mm. crafting ideas. So it's it's a sort of extension on that one. This one's a little bit more, you know, save up things beforehand, get, get the yeah. things that you need, you know, figure out what kind of paints you want to be using to protect the environment and so on. Mm. Hi, my name is Emily and I am eight years old. I was lucky enough to be the tester of this book. I like trying them out to see if they work and playing with them. I like the plant pot, yeah. They were made out of the bottom of a bottle. We put lolly sticks together and painted them to make puzzles and then we could mix them up and do them. I've just made a mini like house, like different rooms um, and I made it out of mainly cardboard and plastic. I like to do it a lot and so to my friends that I've made it. I think art is important because you can reuse like lots of things and make better things out of things that you think you can just throw away. To be outside and be with nature, it's just the most important thing for children to be able to do. I mean, I think they actually really love it once they're out there, but I think it takes a lot of encouragement. Yeah, yeah the mental health benefits of going out, doing a bit of exercise, breathing in fresh air and looking at the surroundings and using your senses in a different way that isn't just on a screen can really fire up imaginations, we think, and then, you know, bringing that in to then do an extension activity, like a craft project, like a a rainbow of leaves that you've collected. It's just like a nice positive reminder, which I think we all need at the moment. There's a lovely wood not far from where we both live. Again, my children are often quite reluctant to go because they don't want to leave the house and the warmth. But then when we're there, it's, it's such a lovely little haven of wildlife we take a little nature spotter game with us which we made it's in the outdoor book that's right kids can get quite bored just walking but if you give them an activity you know find an acorn see if you can find a butterfly and tick them off as you go or even just running around playing tag give them something to do whilst they're doing it give them a, a purpose and they love it so much more don't they yeah i like it to be peaceful and i don't like to see the roads and stuff it's accessible to everybody Even if you don't have a garden, you can just walk around the block or go to your park. You know, these materials like sticks and leaves and things like that, you know, you don't need to spend money on them. Once they start learning about it, 
and start caring about it, getting involved with the things that they can do, the little changes that they, that they can make can actually make a massive difference. And I think children have much more of an impact when they say these sorts of things than adults do. So a child could, you know, go to their teacher and say, what, what are we doing at our school to combat climate change or to do our, our part, to reduce our own footprint? And I think that then expands to the greater community, the wider community, and it, it can have more of an impact, I think, when it's from a child. When we were writing this book, my daughter decided, and having not been interested in this sort of thing, or not being aware of it as much as she should, she then decided she wanted to be part of the school council, and she got elected for her class, and um, she really wanted to try and make a difference about the recycling, and it's like, it just sort of filtered through, and they now have a whole, I'm sure many schools have this, they recycle all their crisp packets, which they hadn't done before. Very, very minor changes, but we brought it into our house to be more aware, and then she's taken it on. And children can make adults feel guilty, which is a, is a massive thing. You know, even with us, we couldn't recycle with crisp packets. And Amelie said, Mummy, they do terracycle at school. Why aren't we getting, why aren't we taking our crisp packets to school? Why aren't we doing that? And I said, I just, I felt really guilty because I wasn't doing it. So we started doing it because she'd asked for it. And I, I felt awful that I wasn't already. And I think that's a major impact that kids can have. Yeah. Every item that is sort of left to go in my recycle box, one or two of my children will be like, oh, no, stop, we can yeah. use that for craft. <laughs> like, literally, every yoghurt pot, every bit of yeah. cardboard, and it's, it's actually beautiful. I get a little bit like, oh, we've got quite a lot of this, you know. <laughs> you know, there's only so much space in my house. And this is coming from my, my five-year-old, who's a really reluctant crafter, has suddenly gone, oh, there's an egg box. We can make a, a zombie firing late, you know. It's like... Okay, yeah, if you want, we can do that. And that's definitely come since writing this book as well. It's been fun. <laughs> if you go on to littlebuttondiaries.com, you'll find some more information about our book and when it's released. You can also follow us on Instagram. Yeah, if you follow us on Instagram at, at littlebuttondiaries, we're always hanging out on there, so yeah. come say hi. The book will be published by GMC Publications. Yeah, so if you head to their website, you can purchase it there. Thanks to Tia and Laura, and also Amelie, for road testing the projects. She's not alone. We asked our Brain Trust what kind of creative ideas they'd had for making environmental art of their own. We have junk art in our school every week where we use items from green bins to make a piece of art. When I was in first class, my teacher got us all to do a giant robot named Lurkhorn after our school. Entirely made out of recycled bottles, coffee cups, shoe boxes, and plastic water bottles. We won a prize for it. There were people from sixth class in it, but we won. Ever since I was a kid, I've been always making art with cardboard. I remember once when we had a guinea pig, my sister and I, we made little stuff for our pets. We made a little box for our cats. We tied their toys on it so they could have fun there. I'm really proud of when I do needle felting and when crocheting and knitting. I'm really proud of that and I'm working on a hat. Uh, you can go outside and use natural things and you don't have to go to the shop. We just did like an art lesson about like using blackberries and like painting with like twigs and it was very fun. The best toys come from things that are lying around, things you've made yourself. We were a playgroup and playgroup means you have to build 
and we were building a zoo. It was like a zoo and it attached to the hospital. My favourite thing about creating is you get such a feel of satisfaction from it. You can think afterwards, I made this. Once I made a recycled robot and we did a biodiversity picture in school and somebody in my class won it. One of the quotes that I remember from somebody else was, truth be told, biodiversity is better than gold. I recently did an art piece on monarch butterflies to highlight the impact of climate on their migration patterns. I draw on cardboard and you can make things and cut cardboard out. It's good to do that. If you're not having fun, then what's the point? It's not art. There's so many things in our recycling bin. I have a job in the recycling bin every so often. My parents put me in the bin and I have to jump up and down and squash it on. Squash on, Harry. Squash on. Whether you decide to go on a nature walk for materials, write a poem, design your next banner, or just rummage through the recycling for inspiration, try do something creative today. Remember, the Creative Schools theme, Brave New Future. Making art is a positive step in painting a future we'd all like to live in. And if you make something you want to share, email it to junior at rte.ie. Thanks as always to today's Brain Trust. Adam, Juno, Freya, Lila, Harry, Jack, Orla, Austin, Evie and Isabella. Whew, that's quite the list. As well as the kids from Carrigaline and Carlo Educate Together Schools. Next week, we get buzzy once again to celebrate World Bee Day. Where are my bees? Ecolution. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cochran for RTE Junior Radio. This is our... RTE Junior!